there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is hard to believe, but basketball is almost ready to return. And with that, catch and shoot returns as well. My name is Aaron Berlin. I'm joined alongside by my co-host, Otto Strong. But before we welcome Otto in, I want to talk to you about what we're talking about on today's show. We're going to welcome on Micah Adams, who's the NBA Global Managing Editor for DAZN and a longtime researcher and producer for ESPN. He is also the co-host of the NBA Sound System podcast, which is airing weekly right now. But the hopes is to go daily once the the NBA restarts and Otto with that that is a perfect tee we are almost ready for basketball to return here my man I can't believe it it's like it's like October in July remember there was a, there was a, there was a commercial years ago where it's like Christmas in August or some crazy thing like that it feels like October in July I you know, it, it, it really does uh, it it's weird that so we had this long campaign, right? We were almost all the way through it. And you almost feel like by the time the playoffs typically comes around, there's a little bit of basketball fatigue. Mm. There's intrigue, man. Like I am following this bubble situation every single day. Everything that ESPN, NBA.com, Turner puts out, I am just like glued to. You know, I, I read an entire three-page long story about the NBA's barbershop today mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. I'm interested about what the players routines are going to be like you know I'm following along all the social posts of what the courts are going to look like what the practice gyms look like nothing has ever been done to this scale and you, you know we were so quick to judge the NBA whether or not they could pull this off and it's still in the early stages but it seems like they're doing a great job man they, no, they, they really are. And I think one of the things that makes it really, really cool and the why people, so many people are getting kind of amped up by it. I mean, for one, there's no other sports going on. But more importantly, um, you know, we know this is this is the anomaly. This is the only year that this is going to happen. So, you know, it's it's like it's like, the you know, the road show coming into your town. This is the only time we're going to see this show. And so I think people are are tuning in also because of that, you know, in a, in a way, next season may feel kind of. I mean, look, I hope next season feels dull by comparison, but but it, it does have that kind of added zest to it because of the uncertainty of how all this stuff is going to is going to break. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's there's the adage that like the NBA always plays out with the best team ultimately winning. Right. And yeah. we're going to talk to Micah about this here in a little bit, but it doesn't feel like that's that's the situation. You know, you have the Sixers trying new things. You have the intrigue of what's going on with this fluctuating Lakers roster. You have Giannis and the Bucks and kind of their rise and them trying to win the East. But it really feels like for the first time in a long time, there is a solid level playing field in the NBA because it's not dictated on home courts. It's not dictated on how involved 
know, the travel plans are, things like that. It's just, just going to be guys going out and balling every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my big fear was, and, and still is, and I think is everybody's, you know, it's just this, this COVID question and whether, you know, will a, will a player, a key player get, get bit. And that's, you know, that'd be the, the, the shame of it all. I mean, obviously in the context of where we are as a society, you know, basketball, not a big deal, but we're, we're just talking about NBA and, you know, we're, we're excited to have the sport return, but that would be the, the shame of it all to see somebody have to quarantine for an extended period of time. Um, and then that, presumably might upset the balance of power. But but uh, aside from that, I'm, I'm amped. I'm ready to go. Yeah, the NBA was happy to report that just shy of 350 tests, no positives, which is yeah, amazing and, to think about. And more importantly, nobody tried to dig out. Nobody tried to tunnel out. <laughs> Absolutely. They're enjoying it. You know, they're out there fishing. They're doing their thing. They're on boats. They're enjoying the campus. We'll see how long that lasts. But let's go ahead and get to Micah. And we are pleased to have Micah Adams. He is the NBA Global Managing Editor at The Zone and a longtime ESPN producer and researcher. Micah, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. I'm on vacation. I'm ready to watch some basketball here, counting down the days so we get some hoops. Well, okay, so- before we get to these hard-hitting questions, Micah, we have to ask you, since you're taking time out of your day to do this, where are you on vacation at? Where are you calling from? I am uh, sitting in the middle of a house in the Shenandoah Valley in, uh, in the middle of Virginia. Oh, that Very sounds calm, wonderful. relaxing, soothing. It's great. Far, far from the bubble. Yes, uh, not as far away from the bubble as, as Bristol, Connecticut, but uh, pretty <laughs> far away. Yeah. So, um, so what, what do you? What are your? What are your thoughts? I mean, we've seen now uh, the, over the past week, uh, no players have tested positive. I think some three hundred and fifty uh, players. What are you surprised by? What by that? I am. I think it's. I think it's uh, incredibly surprising, and more important than that, it's incredibly encouraging, right? I mean, it, it's kind of. Look, I, I have admittedly been on the pessimistic side since this plan was announced, and you know, I'm I'm firmly in the camp of I'll believe it when I see it. Whether when it comes to playing the game, actually finishing this season out and crowning a champion, uh, but I mean, so far so great. The NBA couldn't have possibly asked. Uh, for a better start, given all the preparation that went into it. Again, I, I think it, it, another another variable to keep in mind will be after the first round of the playoffs here when uh, when teams still in it can have uh, family and others come from outside of the bubble into it. So I think that that, that will be kind of one major point. But so far, so great. I, I don't think it could be going any better for the NBA. Yeah, Mike, it's been really encouraging just to, one, see how excited the players have been, that they're making light of the situation, that they're enjoying it to the best that they possibly can with the circumstances that are kind of levied against them. And two, just all the things that the NBA has started to kind of showcase to the world. You know, one was the barbershop that is now on campus. Today, we got to take a look at what the bubble court uh, is going to resemble, and it's different from anything that we've seen the NBA do in the past. It's fully surrounded by screens. The uh, benches are separated. Everyone is six feet apart, so they are socially distanced. F- from a player perspective, is that going to be challenging for some of these players the first time they take that bubble court? I think it. I think it has to be right. I mean, we we've heard how many times has the word asterisk been tossed around, and I actually come at it from the different angle and you think of all the, all the different variables that go into this that are so far and away and radically different than anything that we have ever seen 
forget on an NBA court, on, on pretty much any court, all the different variables and factors that are going into uh, this un- uncertain restart. I, I think, you know, you, people, others have thrown out the whoever wins the title should get a gold star. I'm firmly in that camp because I, I just think that there's not really any way to kind of prepare for what it is these, these players are about to go through. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on the, I'm glad you mentioned asterisk because I, I at, a couple of months ago, I think was, I was one of those people who thought, well, yeah, it's kind of tainted now with everything that players are having to go through the, the mental aspect of it. I kind of feel like you're a real champion. If you can pull all of this out and emerge, um, you know, hosting the trophy, I mean, it, it, you kind of see it that way. I do. I, I think that, look, it's, I think that it's naive to think that we're going to get through this and that's going to be the, the, sort of uh, overwhelming sentiment. I, I think that just by nature of one team's going to win it and 21 other teams aren't that are there means that more than not, fans are going to find a way to uh, cast doubt and kind of uh, use that dreaded asterisk word. But I'm, I, again, I'll just, I'll say, I, I think that the mental toughness uh, required to, to get through this and the, and the physical discipline required to get through this uh, is is unlike anything that we've ever seen. You know, Michael, one of the interesting things about this, and I talk with Otto about this on this show all the time, and because these are such unprecedented times is the coverage has been so different. You know, I think there's a total of maybe 15 NBA reporters that are in the bubble. I talk to Otto all the time about how he is having to deploy his staff, who is also covering, covering news, they're covering sports. What is your plan with your staff? How will you guys cover this? What are some unique angles that you guys are looking at? I, I actually think that uh, not much is going to change uh, from our staff's perspective. I think that uh, in some ways, having all of the player, not all of them, but many of the player availabilities over Zoom, I think is going to make for a far more uh, inclusive environment where uh, everyone kind of is on the same playing field when it comes to access. So I think that, you know, you, you've heard sort of uh, some reporters and writers that are on site there kind of, I, I think, bristle a little bit of, uh, of the fact that there's, there's not really, you know, there's no one-on-one personal private sit downs. There's not going to be any exclusives um, and sort of uh, not appreciating when some of the best things that are said uh, on a zoom call are, are immediately tweeted out, whether even if it's, you know, an, an, a reporter tweeting out a response to a question that somebody else had that, you know, in, in another normal day and age would be an exclusive story, whether it's in The Athletic or uh, ESPN or Yahoo or, or what have you. So, but, you know, from strictly our coverage standpoint for our uh, global editions of NBA.com, you know, we now have writers all over the world, whether it's in India, Argentina, Spain, Mexico, Australia, Japan, that are now going to be, uh, that are going to have significantly more access than they would have under a normal uh, set of circumstances. So, Specific to what we're doing, uh, it's actually uh, pretty pretty beneficial, I would say. Hey, Michael, let me let me try to get inside the brain of uh, the, of yours, because so uh, for those who don't know, uh, why I was at ESPN, I was a guy who saw some some research data, and and for those who <laughs> don't know, there's a ton of research data that comes from uh, the vaunted research department, and of of which you were you were an alum. So I, I remember seeing lots of things that would come across. Uh, uh, mountains of stuff. So, and you were such a, a, a huge brain when it comes to storylines. What are you seeing as 
storylines you know that, that you're looking for at this point obviously this is pre-games and once the ball goes up things will start happening but going in are there a couple of storylines that you're kind of intrigued about that, that the rest of us are missing yeah i look i don't know if it's necessarily one that people are missing but i think that um I'm not sure people fully appreciate the degree to which Giannis uh, has really kind of vaulted to the top of this league. I think people get consumed in the, hey, he's going to win another MVP, and rightfully so. And, you know, he's in that conversation with LeBron and Kawhi for, and, and a healthy KD for best player in the league. But I'm not sure people have fully appreciated the fact that this is someone that is he's 25 years old. No, you're not supposed to be a two-time MVP at the age of 25. In fact, the only two guys to ever do it uh, are LeBron and Kareem, who are, you know, LeBron might be considered the greatest player ever by many right now. And there were many before Michael Jordan and LeBron came along who probably would say the same thing about Kareem. So that's the company that Giannis is about to keep whenever it is that he wins the second MVP. And depending on what the Bucks do, I really do think that we're in the presence of watching uh, one of what's probably going to be one of the five best careers ever. I think we're, we're in the middle of watching that unfold right now. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's kind of being appropriately given sort of the, the respect that it, it kind of deserves, to be quite honest. Micah, why is that? Is it just because LeBron dominates so much of the conversation and there's such an emphasis put on the legacy that LeBron is building. You know, if you look at the front page of ESPN today, it's uh, will this be LeBron's best opportunity for a championship and what are his championship opportunities down the road? Are we not appreciating Giannis because so much of the conversation is focused on LeBron? I think that's fair. I mean, some of it is, some of it is playing in Milwaukee, but I, I think that that's a little bit of a cop out. Look, LeBron played, played in Cleveland and didn't have any, didn't have any problem, uh, you know, be dominating media coverage even long before he went to Miami. Uh, so I, I do think that the, the LeBron-sized cloud kind of hanging over everything certainly plays a part in that. Um, but I just I, I think that sometimes, you know, we, we get so in the moment thinking about sort of how things look here in the now that specifically when it, when it relates to somebody like Giannis, who you don't really ever hear people talk, about Giannis and legacy and all time, right? Like that's a conversation reserved for guys that have been in the league 17 years, like in the case of LeBron, right? So I just think that in the moment, uh, we don't necessarily uh, appreciate what it is that he's doing, which really is like, I'm not kidding when I say like, there's probably only two or three players in the history of the league that have been more individually accomplished Uh, by the age of 25. And I'm just not sure that people quite are aware of that uh, when it comes to Giannis. So does that mean the Bucks are coming out of the East? (laughs) I, I firmly, uh, I firmly believe that the Bucks are coming out of the East. Yes. Okay. And then the West. Uh, I I've been riding the Clippers all year long. I see no reason to stray away from that. I will, I will say, however, though, that kind of given all of the, uh, the variables at play here, like some, there's going to be a massive upset that nobody sees coming. Sure. Uh, and I, I don't know who it's going to be. Clearly, I think it's not going to be Milwaukee. I don't think it's going to be the Clippers. Um, you know, I, but I, I would be stunned. I would be stunned if we get all chalk. This, this kind of 
to me is shaping up to almost be like an NCAA tournament type feel where you blink and all of a sudden you're in the final four and VCU is there and Butler's there and you're wondering what on earth just happened. I, I, I think th- that that, I think that that could happen here. I was going to say that's the interesting aspect of this, right? Like so much of the NBA season is built on just securing home court advantage when it comes to the playoffs, right? Now that is completely out the window and it's nullified because everybody's playing on the same surface. It's a neutral court. What kind of outcome for some of these games do you expect that to have? I mean, because, you know, the adage in the NBA is, you know, a seven game series, the best team usually always wins, but, but this could play a little bit of a factor, couldn't it? I, I agree. And the, and the two teams to me that, that really, that this really plays out for the most are Philadelphia and Dallas and for two different reasons. So I, I believe that the 76ers have the largest home versus road disparity uh, in over 50 years. I think you have to go all the way back to pre shot clock days to find a team uh, with a, a wider disparity in performance between home and road. And then conversely, the Mavericks have been a very good road team relative to their home, not quite uh, as extreme as, as Philadelphia, but also sort of historic. The one interesting thing to me is because these are all neutral site games, like do you view them all as are they all home games? Are they all road games? Kind of where, where do you kind of draw that line in delineating which teams are going to be favored by the conditions down here? Uh, because you could kind of talk, you could kind of talk yourself into either way, right? Like you could talk yourself into, well, you know, Philly will not have to to play in front of hostile home crowds anymore, and you know, every time Ben Simmons goes up to shoot, he won't have twenty thousand uh, people yelling at him. Uh, so maybe maybe they're they're benefited by this, or conversely, it's a now everyone is playing all road games and the Sixers are screwed because they're, they're not in front of their home fans. So I'm fascinated to see the dynamic of how that plays out, uh, but I, good luck trying to figure out what exactly that's going to be until we, kinda, we see the ball tip off. And it's interesting you brought up Ben Simmons because I think that's a perfect kind of segue to where I wanted to go. We found out earlier this week that the Sixers are now deploying Ben Simmons at the power forward position. What does that say about what the Sixers think about their opportunity here? And what does it say about their confidence in Al Horford? It's really, I, I actually found this story to be really bizarre. And, and I, I think that it might just be a, a, a fancy way of just like, do you guys really think that they're, that Brett Brown's going to take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands more? Like, does that make sense to you guys that they would do that? No, not at all. Right. So like, I mean, he's, he's the team by far their best playmaker. He's one of the three or four best passers in the entire world. So to all of a sudden say, well, we're, we're now going to switch Ben Simmons position and we're, which means we're going to take the ball out of his hands more, which I, you know, I don't necessarily believe that I, you know, but there is a world in which like, I think that this is the best season by far that Ben Simmons has had. And I think that there's a lot of data out there to support the idea that he was he was on the cusp of sort of writing a lot of the wrongs that happened in last year's playoffs when he disappeared and he'd go to the dunker spot and it was the Jimmy Butler show. And, you know, people like me are pointing out that Ben Simmons' usage rate in the clutch is under five, which is unheard of for an all-star. But the way that he played this year, all signs pointed to Ben Simmons kind of putting a lot of that in the rearview mirror. But now all of a sudden, Brett Brown coming out and saying, well, we're going to switch his position and we're going to 
we're going to do something differently and change it up. It kind of like, does it give you guys a little bit of pause that maybe they don't trust that Ben Simmons ultimately is going to, to kind of get to the place that he needs to be for this team to win? Does it, do you guys find that to be odd? Well, so my immediate follow-up, and this is built off the premise, you know, that they were so quick to get rid of Markel Fultz, and then you kind of look at the resurgence of a season that he had here in Orlando a little bit. But, you know, my follow-up question to that would be, it's almost like the Sixers have some kind of a patience issue, right? Like, they're just not patient enough with their young players. I, I, think, that's, I think that's valid. I think there's something to that, right? They're kind of they're kind of in that weird in that weird spot where they're they're built to win now, right? Like they just paid Al Horford 109 million dollars. Uh, you don't do that for a 33 year old big unless you're willing to win right now. Yet at the same time, I think kind of people forget that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid they're not. It's not like they're 30 and on the tail end of their prime. Like these guys are still very young, right? Like it's it's okay to wait. Um, you know, I, I think maybe people see what happened in Oklahoma city with Durant and Westbrook and Harden and how it looked like they were set to dominate for a decade. And then all of a sudden now none of them are there and they didn't win anything. So maybe there's people see that and say, maybe, Hey, we don't want to, we don't want to make the same mistake that Oklahoma city made and in waiting around too long. The, um, you know, I, I think that there's something, there's something there. Uh, I think that part of it could be also that Brett Brown realizes that, uh, may, this might be it. Like this might be his opportunity because if this team once again underperforms, you have a hard time imagining a situation or scenario in which Elton Brand and, and ownership in the front office would would look at sort of the, the the chips on the table and decide that they're gonna you know cast off Simmons or Embiid before they would try making a coaching change. So some of it might just reek of desperation uh, from Brett Brown. So, Michael, we talked uh, about the Sixers in depth, so um, i, I got to be transparent here. If I don't get a, a Mavericks question, i got some people in Fort Worth who will get on me. So <laughs> so you, you mentioned the Mavs as, as being a team that, that does have uh, the anomaly, better, better road team than, than home team. And, you know, Luka was playing at, a, at, a, at obviously at a high level. Um, KP, he and, you know, the, the two of them have not had as much time on the floor together. I'm, so I'm wondering what you think of what the Mavs might be doing or be able to do, you know, in this uh, in this restart, um, we we remember that if the you know if the if the if the the map chips were as they as they were when we went to break, uh, the the Mavs would have drawn the Clippers. Uh, obviously, not a favorable matchup. But so, what do you what do you think, uh, Luca playing in that environment and the team overall? So I you know I mentioned before that the conditions down in Orlando make for a potential Final Four like situation in which there's a team that makes a deep run that. Not really anybody saw coming. Dallas, to me, checked all the boxes for teams that could be one of those surprise teams. And so, like, I, you know, selfishly, I hope that they are not the seventh seed because I don't want to see the Clippers and Mavericks play each other in the first round. I, 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 I think that the Mavericks are great. And I think that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of data points that you can point to that suggest that this is a really good team and one that's built for the playoffs, one of those. So if you, if you sort of break down, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the talk about the Dallas offense has been overstated in the sense that like they have the best offensive efficiency in NBA history. Okay. There's no way that this is the best offense ever. And in fact, when you adjust for era, 
it because they, they go down to something like the 25th or 30th best. That being said, if you look at specific situations uh, that seem to indicate a team that might be better come playoff time, if you look at just how Dallas has done against the set defense, right? So after opponent makes, they have by far the most efficient offense in the NBA. That's great for playoff basketball. They're a team that, unlike somebody like Toronto, doesn't rely on being opportunistic uh, on fast breaks or in transition. So they, they have an offense that in the half court uh, and against set and good defenses is incredibly potent and scary. And one of the even scarier things is, so as a rookie, Luka Doncic was one of the, the three or four best clutch time players in the entire league. He's actually been really bad. Uh, in, in those situations this season, which I, I actually think for Dallas could be a good thing because there's only one way to go, and that's up. Uh, and the version of Porz- – you, you add in Porzingis, which, like, his last 15 games, I think he was at, like, 25 and 10 over two blocks. That's better than he was uh, pre-ACL injury in New York. So, I don't know. I, like, I, I think that Dallas is a team that if they're able to creep up out of that seven spot, they could be one of those uh, frisky teams that might upset a Clippers or a Lakers or, uh, or they, they could be one of the teams that gets in the way of that, of that Lakers Clippers uh, showdown that everybody just seems like is, is destined to happen. Of course. And then you've got uh, Rick Carlisle who, you know, if there's a coach who could, it was probably made for a situation like this, you would think it would be him, you know, making the necessary adjustments, um, you know, as, as, as they go. I agree. I, do you guys, would you put Carlisle in your, if you were to do a draft, like if, if all 22 teams showed up in Orlando mm-hmm. and then they were said, we're going to throw all the coaches and we're going to have a coaching draft specific to the situation down in Orlando. Is he your number one overall pick? Oh, it, it definitely would be a really good question. That is an excellent question. Uh, you know, uh, this, this is why we love this guy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Right. You would, Somebody who's been there before, you know, who's been in the trenches, won a title, uh, has, you know, seen it all. Yeah. I mean, why the hell not, right? Well, the, the, yeah, see, the I, thing I, is that we just won't talk about on this show is who the bottom five coaches are, right? <laughs> You're just trying to get me in trouble now. <laughs> no, but, 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 but to kind of build off that, I, I, do, I would be remiss if we had you on and we didn't get one fun story or two or three or however many you really want to go into uh, about two of the guys that help make this show a reality for us every single week. That's our producer, Scott Turkin, as well as Bruce Bernstein. Do, do you have any fun stories working with those two guys at ESPN or do you have any fun stories working with ESPN for all your years that you were a researching guru as well as a producer there? So I have the, the distinct pleasure of working very close with both uh, both Scott and Bruce. And in, in particular, Bruce, uh, we worked together on a show called NBA Tonight together. For I, I, Bruce did it longer than I did, but I probably worked on that show for the, the better part of three years. And I just I love every walking into a meeting every day and hearing Bruce just say, "Hey, I got this great Celtics idea that I think we should start the show with tonight." And it was great every time without fail. And uh, and I believe you know, the good. Well, I was just going to say the funny thing is, you, you know, Bruce constantly shows us his Celtics mask here on this show, too. He actually starts every Zoom call that we have with the Celtics mask on. Right, Bruce? Yeah, it's it, it, it makes me a much better looking person. And that's no easy task. 
and and not to be outdone, I, we 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 kid Scott uh, about his his what I call his Detroit uh, underoos, but with, he's always got some some Detroit gear gear on, or if it's not on, it's certainly nearby. <laughs> but um, so do you uh, do you remember uh, uh, you know Scott giving giving you know offering offering pointers and advice uh, back back in the day? All the time, Scott. So one of like probably I would say maybe a year into my career at ESPN, not, not even, we used to have these things called locals and it was basically like a, like a digital, like local edition of sports center. That would be like, here's three minutes of Boston. Here's three minutes of Chicago, three minutes of Dallas, three minutes of New York, whatever. And Scott oversaw that project when I happened to be uh, very early on in my career. And I just, Scott gave me great pointers every single day, I, that specifically stands out. But then all throughout the rest of my time there, Scott would always be, uh, if I ever saw him in the calf or, you know, I ever saw him in the hallway and there was a, a recent idea that I sent out, he would always be really quick to pull me inside and say, hey, I really like this. Uh, and then he would always take it a step further by kind of pointing out specifics. And I, I really like this because of X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, did you think about A, B, and C for next time? So I always really appreciated Scott's sort of approach towards uh, helping me and helping others along the way. I know I'm, I'm not the only one that thinks like that. Uh, and then specifically to working with Scott, we, so when I worked on the 11 PM sports center, so that, and, and as Stuart Scott and Scott Van Pelt and Steve Levy and Scott would also work on that show. And there'd be a lot of times where we would be sitting in the, uh, in the newsroom and it would be like, like 1054 or 10.55 on the air and in five minutes, not even. And the studio was on the other side of the campus, right? So you would basically, like if you walked it, it would be probably a 10 minute walk. Well, there'd be times it'd be 10.55 and Scott sitting there just like, I can feel him gazing and staring at me. And I would immediately just pop up and take off at a dead sprint. And Scott used to just love giving me grief for how frantic I would always get within like 10 minutes of us going on the air every time without fail. I got to, I got to chime in from, from Micah. Yeah, that was great. We used to call that gripping at ESPN, but it, in all seriousness, Micah's talent was really evident early in his career. And, um, you know, guys in sports media, we always come up with lists and internally I used to have the conversation that I thought Micah was one of the great ESPN researchers ever. Um, there's some really great talent that's gone through that department. Um, our friend Howie Schwab and Chris Felica, uh, Jeff Bennett has really run that program for many years. Uh, my guy, Nick Lauks was a great manager and leader in that department, a close friend of both Micah's and mine. And, and I would just say that Micah's ideas, the breadth of his ideas um, were just so, they were just, they stood out above everyone. They were really exceptional. And, uh, he was a huge influence at ESPN, especially as some of the more senior producers like Mike Schiffman, you know, saw how great his ideas were and how he was able to execute them. And, you know, he flew through the ranks there. And, Micah, I'm definitely proud of you and your success and uh, wish you all the best. Man. Turk, I appreciate that, my man. Hey, Too I, kind as always. And I just want to add you. that, uh, yes, and I just want to add that there have been some really brilliant basketball minds that have passed through ESPN over the years. I mean, I worked on the project from the time the project came to ESPN until I became a free agent at the end of 2017. 
no question that Micah was one of the premier basketball minds ever to pass through that place. Uh, and I know that he's just killing it for DAZN and for NBA.com Global. And Micah, you made all of us better. And you're still making us better because you're helping us out on Catch and Shoot 2.0. And uh, <laughs> yes, before we let you go, uh, could you please tell us a little bit about the uh, podcast that you do, how we can hear it, how people can listen to it, and what uh, what what you've uh, you know turned turned it into? Yeah, so I am uh, one of the co-hosts of a show called NBA Sound System. Uh, we have podcast episodes every week, and we also go live on our feed every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Uh, hopefully during the playoffs, we're going to be going. Uh, we're going to be going daily as well. That's uh, uh, so. That's NBA Sound System. Is it's run by uh, one of my friends, Lauren uh, Lauren Scott, who works for the Golden State Warriors and does does great things uh, for the Warriors. So Lawrence has uh, taken kind of taken the reins with NBA Sound System and with the help of Brent Barry, who co-launched that show. So uh, yeah, so check out NBA Sound System. Uh, we'd we'd appreciate it. We're uh, we're we're friends of the uh, Catch and Shoot 2.0 podcast over there. Oh, we love that. Hey, Micah, this has been so much fun. This has been so informational for us. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we're excited to have basketball back next week, or actually it might be this week. We're just excited to talk hoops and to have you on. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, anytime you need a uh, a boring voice with lots of mundane stats that nobody's ever heard of, you know where to find me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that was dope. <laughs> Well, that was one of our better interviews, I, th I think. Uh, and, and it was a team effort, which was really cool. So thanks again <laughs> to uh, Scott and Bruce for, 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 jump, for jumping in. So I, I was uh, going to say, we, we, we got all four of us in on here, right? Yeah, like, exactly. that, that might be the first time we've done that on this show. It's, we're, we're, always, we're, always, we're always going new places. You never know where we're going to be. We're always, <laughs> always mixing up. But, but um, so one of the things that, that Micah said that, uh, you know, to, to, just to go back. So Giannis... Um, one of the top could, could be one of the top five players of, of all time and possibly a back-to-back -back MVP before the age of 25. That's bold statement. No, you know, I, I'm not sure if it is that bold. So the, the thing I love about Micah and the way he conducts his opinions is so much of them are based off the numbers and based off what he is seeing. And I've thought this for a long time, you know, you look at Giannis, he's already a four-time all-star MVP trending that way this year. And, his competitive fire is not going away anytime soon. You know, I, I think we saw that on full display this past year, just randomly at the all-star game, a meaningless game, but that meant something to go head to head with a team that LeBron had constructed and built and placed against him. And he wanted so badly to, to win that basketball game. And, you know, that's what fuels great players. And we've talked about it numerous times on this show that, LeBron carries so much of the attention and so much of the weight that it almost overshadows just how good some of the other players in the league actually are. And, you know, and we've also spoken about the, the position that the NBA is in specifically with its younger players. You know, you look at Giannis and the things that he is doing in Milwaukee and because he's in a small Midwest city, there's not a lot of attention drawn to him. And then you look at someone who's in your backyard and Luca, and those are two players. And, you know, the numbers bear out with Luca that his first two seasons, he's going at a historic rate. And if you put them side by side to LeBron, they're comparable and in some instances better. And so it doesn't surprise me that 
he had that opinion on him. What surprises me is really when you take a step back and you look at it, how we underappreciate the things that Giannis is doing. Hmm. I mean, look, your guy is a freak of nature. Um, I, I, I would agree with Michael, with you. I mean, he is one of those you know, rare air type type guys. I think we'll be talking about him, uh, you know, for, for years and years to come. Um, hopefully the, the championships follow because it seems like so much of the conversation, you know, at least the last, you know, several years, the last incarnation of the league has been based on, you know, how many titles, but, um, but it's just a pure player and what he can do. Um, you know, we, 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 I was joking in the, you know, before we, we got on air here, like saying, basically saying that the last person we saw like this was, was Giannis a year, a year ago. And I just felt like, feel like that he's just that uh, special kind of player who, um, you know, hopefully will, will, you know, continue to uh, do great things. Well, and that's the unfortunate thing about the NBA because it almost seems like regardless of how good your yearly numbers are and your cumulative numbers, the only thing that actually matters at the end of the day are how many championships you win, right? Like that's the old adage that because Jordan won six, it's never going to be enough for LeBron regardless of how you compare and contrast the two of them. You know, LeBron is amazing one for his efficiency and his endurance and so many of those things, but he's never going to have those rings that Jordan has. And so it'll be interesting to see that if Giannis stays with the Bucks, and I think that he will just based off his personality, but I could be so wrong on these types of things. You know, they evolve so quickly. If he maybe wins too, will that ever be enough? Right? Like mm-hmm. those are kind of the burning questions for things like that. Excellent question. You know, never, never know these days. Yeah. And, and, and to close on this, I thought this was kind of a fun thing. You know, we didn't get a chance to ask Micah about this, but the NBA also announced that, you know, Jordan brand jerseys are going to be repped by all 30 NBA teams. And at the top of my mind, when I instantly thought this, and this was coming from memes that were going across Twitter too, is now the Detroit Pistons, every time they rep their city jerseys, are going to have a little Jumpman logo on their jerseys. One, how angry do you think the Pistons front office is about that? Because they didn't have a say in that. That's an apparel decision by the league. And two, what do you think our producer Scott Turkin's reaction was to that when he saw that? Uh, I think I just heard the implosion from from here. So, uh, <laughs> so no uh, dice, no dice. <laughs> Get rid of it. Well, uh, well, well, there, well, there you go. I don't, I don't think we could, we could come up with a better close than that. So, um, with that, thanks to everybody for listening to uh, this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I want to thank our producers again, Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor Ben Wolfen. Yeah, this show has been a lot of fun, and you know, this is the reason we come back each and every week to bring you guys episodes like this, but also just fun and entertaining content. And if you haven't caught any of our other shows across our network, where have you been? It's been fantastic. Monday, as always, is the one and only Mike Weiss. Tuesday, if you have not caught some of the interviews that Fanta and Adams have done on Full Court Press, you need to go through their feed. It's just Hall of Fame coach after Hall of Fame coach, and it's worthy listen after worthy listen, and it's been a lot of fun. Wednesdays, as always, is right here at Catch and Cheat 2.0. We bring you some of the latest breaking news in the NBA, and we dive into some of the other things going on. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks drops every Thursday with Monica McNutt and her new co-host, King McClure. That is always a fun listen. And Fridays is our flagship podcast. It is a Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. If you guys like our shows, if you enjoy them, if you listen to them every week, regardless of which one you guys are, all that we ask is that you rate and review. And if you share it on your social feeds, hey, we'll give you a thumbs up. 
And one final thought, everybody. So as we know, coronavirus is still with us, not going anywhere. We just need you guys to really keep doing your part, wearing masks, social distancing, washing hands. All that stuff really does make a difference. Uh, And uh, look, stay safe, everybody. Until next time. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.